crush your menopause sugar cravings with all-natural Bossa Bars Menopause Energy Bars. They're delicious keto and intermittent fasting-friendly bars created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the challenging stages of the pause. Try them at BossaBars.com. That's B-O-S-S-A-Bars.com. And save 10% with code HOTCOOL10. Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And today we are talking to Dr. Heather Hirsch. We originally spoke to Dr. Hirsch in 2020, and we spoke to her about she had just opened a menopause and midlife clinic at Brigham and Women's, and she's a faculty member at Harvard Medical School. And we were talking to her about what common myths and misconceptions women have when they walk into the clinic to talk to her. One of the things that we talked about was myth busting. What are some of the myths surrounding menopause? And on our Instagram page this past Monday, I mentioned three of the top myths and said that if you want to know more about them, the additional three myths, you have to listen to the podcast. So we're going to go into the additional three myths of menopause. And The first three, which are on the Instagram page, were about testing and age-related issues. Could you be too young for menopause, which is a common misconception. But a few of the other myths is that menopause is natural and nothing needs to be done. Dr. Hirsch strongly advocates that just because something is natural does not mean you couldn't benefit from a little medical intervention. So if you are having more bad days than good, that's how she explains it, you shouldn't be embarrassed or worried about going to a doctor and asking for health. Because yes, if you live long enough, menopause is going to happen. However, you don't need to suffer from it. Some women are lucky and yeah. they don't really struggle, right, Bridget? Right. They, like you had hot flashes. I had them. I went through the whole thing. And it's also about being an advocate for yourself. From my personal experience, I felt that perimenopause was much worse than now that I am in, you know, postmenopausal. Another misconception that she talks about is the fact that as you get older, you just have to accept the fact that you're going to leak, that you're going to have some urinary leaks. What she said, which was really interesting, was that if you have a weak pelvic floor, that's when usually you're going to have issues with incontinence. However, estrogen strengthens and stabilizes your pelvic floor. So if you're losing estrogen, then menopause can act as a factor for a weak pelvic floor. And so weight gain can act as a factor. C-sections, there are lots of different reasons for incontinence. So she strongly suggests going to a a urogynecologist to find out why it's happening and what you can do about it. Don't just put a pad on and say, okay, I'm going to leak because pad can cause yeast infections. They can add to your dryness. They can cause irritation. So Don't just accept the fact that you're going through menopause. Don't just accept the fact that you might leak a little when you laugh or sneeze. There are things you can do about it. And the last myth I wanted to bring up before we start the episode was that about perimenopause and hormone therapy. Dr. Hirsch said there's a myth out there that you can't use postmenopausal doses of estrogen or progesterone or even postmenopausal doses of vaginal estrogen while you're perimenopausal. And that is simply not true. You can use it, a lot of women use it particularly in late perimenopause because that's when your symptoms just 
get ready and buckle up because that's when they go crazy, but that you can use postmenopausal doses for perimenopausal women. And that's really important to remember too. So if you guys want to know the other three myths that Dr. Hirsch talks about in some of her blog posts, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. That's where you will find the information. And also we strongly recommend going to Dr. Hirsch's website, which will be in the show notes. She has lots of information. She's got a great podcast as well, Health by Heather Hirsch. She is an Instagram like there's so much information on TikTok and Instagram. You check out hormone.health.doc for Dr. Hirsch's Instagram page. And she just, I mean, every YouTube, you name it. She's kind of a social media menopause sensation. Yeah. Okay. So we are going to let Dr. Hirsch take over, enjoy the episode, and we will talk to you after. Hi, everybody. And please welcome to the show, Dr. Heather Hirsch. She is board certified in internal medicine, a physician, and she is in charge of the menopause and midlife clinic at Brigham and Women's Hospital at the Harvard Medical School. That's a mouthful, Dr. Hirsch, but you're so <laughs> excited to have you on because you just started the menopause and midlife clinic in Boston, which is something neither one of us had ever heard of a, a no. midlife clinic. And we can't wait to talk to you to find out how this came about. So hello. Hello. Um, <laughs> hi. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it, please. Thank you for joining us. Now you also have your own podcast, which we will talk about in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And you have so much information on your website, which will be connected also to our show notes. And we'll talk about that also. But can you kind of give us an idea of how this clinic came to be? Yeah, absolutely. So I started my medical journey always wanting to take care of women. And I began in OBGYN residency, but I quickly realized that my skills really didn't lay in operating in the middle of the night per se. And so I changed career paths and then I went into internal medicine. So I became board certified in internal medicine. And then I did a two-year fellowship at the Cleveland Clinic in Women's House. Now, this fellowship is a little unique in that it is not an accredited fellowship. And what, all that really means is that you can really make it what you are the most interested in. And I came in very interested in postpartum and contraception and teaching, but I came out really, really feeling very passionate about treating menopause in midlife. And it was because I saw that it was the most underserved area in women's health by far. Mm -hmm. And I really found that it was just my true passion and that this niche really met my skills within internal medicine, understanding chronic diseases and my gynecologic background or my GYN history of understanding abnormal bleeding and other uniquely reproductive women's health concerns. When you say it's a midlife clinic, obviously menopause too, what do women walk in with? What problems do they have? Yeah, great question. So I thought long and hard about the term midlife because I wanted something that would encompass some of the other things that my patients very commonly seek care for that may not be the obvious things like hot flashes or night sweat. But let's say they're gaining weight and that's really affecting their self-esteem. It's affecting their motivation. Let's say they're noticing changes in their sexual health and their libido and they're noticing that that is causing problems either within themselves or within their marriage. Anything from 
hair loss to new onset of dizziness, uh, uh, mental health issues like anxiety or separation anxiety if children are leaving. And so the term midlife was to really encompass those other concerns that women often have that aren't necessarily, you know, your typical things when you say menopause, like hot flashes. Um, how many other clinics are similar to this out there? Do you know how many or any idea? I can ballpark. So before I mm-hmm. moved to Boston to start the uh, clinic at the Brigham, I was at Ohio State in Columbus. And of course, I did my training in Cleveland's clinic. So there are, I would say, in an academic center, there's probably... Oh, I'm going to actually probably take a guess here. Maybe 20 to 30 clinics like this. There's not a lot. Yeah. There's not a lot um, Mm -hmm. that are really dedicated to menopause. Now, what there is, is there are many more NAM certified physicians. So NAM stands for the North American Menopause Society. So there are physicians who may be more experienced in treating menopause and have a greater understanding of the medications that we use, but they may not necessarily have a dedicated clinic. They may also still be delivering babies or doing hysterectomies, or maybe they're your family medicine doctor. And so they kind of have competing things. Whereas just to have a specialized clinic with a physician who really just spends all of her time treating, researching, and managing menopause is somewhat rare. And Yeah, I would love to train so many other physicians so that as the years progress, we can change this narrative because it is so needed. You are educating the younger physicians to start becoming aware of midlife issues because normally, I can't tell you how many women we hear from that say, I didn't even know I was in perimenopause. I had no idea. I love when I have either medical students or residents who sit with me. And in my clinic, the way I set it up is I use a a desk and we have two comfy chairs and we spend most of the time in that room. And it's so nice because instead of having a sterile exam room and sitting on that paper on your butt for 45 minutes, we just sit and talk, which is really all that you need. And so I'll have my trainees sit right next to me and they are just mesmerized by the whole thing. It's really a reversal of everything that they learn, which is not necessarily to their fault. It's more of a system of just the way medicine has evolved, but sort of this in and out, very quick, boom, 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 Mm -hmm. problem list. Whereas I really not only teach them the principles of menopause management, hormone therapy, and et cetera, but really switching up the way they learn to see, learn to watch their preceptors give care by really letting my patients drive most of the conversation. So on the subject of HRT, how does that work with your clinic? I know some people like Bridget's on bioidenticals Mm -hmm. and some people are hesitant because of the research to go on any type of HRT. And then there's some people who want the natural approach. Do you have options for women when they walk in the clinic? Yes, very much so. So a lot of the principles of my clinical approach is that everyone is a unique individual and everyone has a different uh, medical background, a different surgical history and different health goals and priorities in midlife. So while you may be having, you know, terrible hot flashes that keep you up at night and you're no longer feeling productive at work, your best friend or your neighbor may be saying she just has this horrible out of nowhere anxiety and hostility that just nothing like her. So 
That's two very different experiences. And so using everything I have in my toolkit that I deem safe, I really use for almost all my patients. And that's what makes it so clinically satisfying is that there's just not one size that fits all. So there's many, you know, I always talk about lifestyle approaches. Obviously, most of my patients who come to see me have read or have tried some of those. We have non-hormonal options. But yeah, I definitely preach about the safety and efficacy of hormone therapy, especially when given within 10 years of menopause. I do promote FDA-approved products and there's plenty of also bioidentical FDA-approved products and spend a lot of my time just sort of myth-busting, talking about why patients get the idea that uh, either estrogen is dangerous and harmful, why we get the idea that bioidentical is better or safer, and really, really a myth bust and then really sort of let my patients guide on what they want to do. And typically I'll sort of say, okay, I've been listening to you. Tell me what's been going on. And I kind of came up with option A, B, and C. And from there, tell me kind of what you think you want to do. And that's sort of how I I tend to help guide them, but then give my patients some autonomy. And also, I think the education aspect is key, really letting them uh, know and understand why I can sleep very safely and soundly with them taking hormone therapy or if they don't need that, they want something else and et cetera. So really individualizing the process making my patients feel safe and comfortable is so important. And we do not hear that very often. So No, you don't hear it. not from doctors because we've talked to some great doctors, but just in general, hearing options. That's Mm -hmm. just available for women. And on your um, website too, I noticed you have some online courses. Um, Yes. Can you talk a little bit about your online courses? Yes, I would love to. So (laughs) I felt so inspired to start sort of social media outreach because I just had so much passion in my heart for all of this knowledge. And every time I would see a patient, they would tell me the same thing. How come no one ever told me this? Or my last doctor really, you know, told me I was too young or dismissed me or said it was just going to be, you know, a year. And I just, I was so internally, and this actually has been building up for many years, which is why I dedicated my career to this. So I started an Instagram and Twitter and really kind of put myself on social media. And I realized quickly that even that didn't feel like enough. So from there, I created a online course and I unfortunately cannot give out direct medical advice without seeing you in the office. But what my course really does is it provides you with almost all of the education I would give you in the office up to the point of, okay, what decision do I, what are option A, B, and C for you? And which one do you want to choose? And so I really believe it provides this amazing foundation for you to really cut through some of the, for lack of better words, BS that you see on social media or in the news or by people who are not, you know, NAMS providers. And also really gives you some resources to start talking to your doctor about them. And so it's wonderful. I also have sections in there on sexual health, such as libido and pain, your bones, which is so important, things like hair, weight gain, metabolism, all those things. So thank you for asking about my course. I'm really proud of it. It's great because once you purchase it, it's yours forever. And I can always go in and upload it and, and make changes to it. Do you find a lot of women are embarrassed when they walk into the clinic to even tell you the truth about all their symptoms or once they're there they're kind of committed 
Once my patients typically get to me, they're so thankful. They kind of sit down with this sigh of relief, like, oh, (laughs) someone will understand. Which means, though, that leading up to that point, they've gone through a lot of barriers just to get to me. And many of those women won't get through all of those barriers. They won't uh, talk to their doctor because they feel embarrassed. They won't talk to their doctor because there's time constraints and the doctor leaves the room before they can sort of say, the the thing you never want to say, I feel like I'm going crazy, right? There's so Mm -hmm. much stigma that women are crazy. There's this, the, the hysteria and all of that. But, but that is how women feel. And to miss out on that validation that this is a physiologic and hormonal aspect is so devastating. So usually by the time they get to see me, they're very thankful that uh, even the office visit itself can be therapeutic. I have some women who come to see me that leave and we decide that all she's going to do from there on out is journal. And I haven't provided very much in the way of what her other doctor has at the end of the day, except for the fact that she feels so validated and has received so much more education around what's going on with her. It makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. How about postmenopausal? Do you see a lot of women who are three, four years past the menopausal anniversary? What do they typically come see you for? Again, really various issues. Typically, if someone is, let's say, in their mid-50s, late 50s or early 60s, they'll typically say, and I don't know antidotally why, but they'll say, I've been having hot flashes for 10, 15 years, and I finally found you. I finally found you on Google. Can you please help me? They've been having symptoms just for years. Another big thing I'll hear is some of my patients now are empty nesters, and they want to be intimate with their partners again. And they'll say, I haven't had intercourse in decades or more. And even it doesn't seem, it seems impossible. It's so painful. Can you help me? And absolutely. I can help both of those people, uh, women. And uh, someone once asked me, when is the best time to see a menopause doctor? I said, there's never a wrong time. You could be in perimenopause looking for education. Like we just talked about, you could be right at menopause or you could be 10 years down the road and still be having symptoms. So ideally sooner is better, but it's never too late. You're never past the point where something can't be done. If these are really affecting your everyday quality of life, your marriage, your work, your productivity, you know, these things matter so much. Mm-hmm. They do. And also I wanted to talk on your website. Also, I love how you have just some answers to questions on hormone replacement and your podcast. Women's right. Health by Heather Hirsch. Yeah. Speaking of the podcast, one of my fa- I listened to a bunch of them and one of my favorites was the top 10 medicines or, or advancements in medicine for 2019. And the first one that you talk about is a non-hormonal option that's not quite FDA approved yet but it blocks the symptoms of hot flashes. Can you talk a little bit for women who are now probably taking a pen and trying to write down what you're about to say? (laughs) Uh, Yes. So great question. So there is a new uh, drug being trialed. It is a... It blocks neurons, the neurons in your brain that signal hot flashes. So it blocks that receptor and it's a non-hormonal, essentially, type of drug. This means that perhaps we can stop hot flashes that in a way that doesn't expose the woman to estrogen if she can't take it or doesn't want to take it. 
And it's also not the other option, which we have, which is an antidepressant. So it's completely novel, completely new drug. It's called the KNDY receptor antagonist. And again, that just means that's the fancy name for is a blocker of this uh, receptor in our brains. And that receptor seems to get more agitated at menopause. And so by blocking it, it sort of blunts those hot flashes. So, so far, this drug has been in, I believe, don't quote me, phase two trial. And phase two trials are well, phase one trials are animal trials. Phase two trials are safety and efficacy trials, trying to find out in a very small amount of patients for about 12 weeks, the right dose. And then from there, the drug will go to a bigger sort of phase three trials where they recruit uh, lots of women and see how this drug works and either randomize it or remove any confounding factors, such as letting the patients be blinded, not know if they're getting this or the sugar pills. And so that's where it will be going next. So it still has a long way in terms of development. This could take, gee, some years. And of course, right now there's sort of a research slowdown since there's so much focus on the current pandemic. But that is such an exciting medication because I personally love to have options for women. It's so nice that there's some more FDA approved, or hopefully there will be some more FDA approved options. And this also just highlights and I think shines importance on the fact that we need to really consider symptomatic menopause and treat it. So I'm very excited. I'm hopefully can engage in some of these phase three uh, trials, or if not, I'll be watching them really closely. Another interesting thing that you had put on those is migraines. And I'm one of those people who suffer from terrible migraines during my cycle. And they've only gotten worse now that I'm preparing menopause. And I noticed that you were like, you know, I'm not a, I don't specialize in it, but I do have suggestions of like magnesium before you go to sleep and things like that. Do you find that a lot of women suffer from... an increase in migraines during their perimenopause and menopause journey? Very much so. So I have worked in the past very closely with neurologists. We tend to have so many of the same patients because of the fact I think that the reproductive cycle, whether it's um, when you're sort of at puberty in your early teens, pregnancy, postpartum, perimenopause, menopause, all those reproductive transitions are also times when migraines or headaches, but particularly migraines tend to also flare and be, and be severe. So to me, there is, and to many, it's not a coincidence that as your hormones are fluctuating, so can basically your brain stability, right? Those, those migraine triggers. So it is really fascinating to see and learn about some of the newer medications that my neurology colleagues are using. And I get so much antidotal feedback on them from my patients. So I may also be using hormones to treat their migraines. So for example, I will have patients with terrible premenstrual migraines. They'll know the week before their period, they'll get a terrible migraine. And we use a combination of things that can stabilize hormones. And maybe they're on one of these newer migraine medicines, such as an injectables and these sort of immunotherapy. So more directly targeted to what these medications need to go for to keep your brain nice and happy. And so you can keep working and be a, taking care of your children and your job and your podcast and, and all of these things. <laughs> Do you find a lot of the women coming into your clinic to have smaller children now because a lot of women are waiting to have kids? And because I know you also deal with some fertility 
issues for women who are trying to conceive? Yes. So very, very great question. We are definitely seeing that women are having children later in life. Me, myself, I'm 37. I have two very young children, may have another child. We we don't know yet. Um, (laughs) But yeah, women definitely are having children later in life. And what I very commonly will see is sort of this new phenotype of a woman who may have had fertility assistance in her late early 40s, has the baby breastfeeds and just after she sort of weans, she just finds herself in menopause. And what a shock to have all those hormones from the fertility assistance, all those postpartum hormones, then breastfeeding, and then you're menopausal. So great question. And I think that there needs to be more research done on the impact that later childbearing is having on either the menopause transition or menopausal symptoms. But definitely something that I am starting to see more and more of that story. It's developing. Do you think that the more people that are researching menopause now and trying to specialize in it is maybe because more women are physicians now? I mean, I just was thinking about that. I don't know. Do you think that could be a reason? You know, great question. I recently have been doing a little bit of digging into some of the menopause books, both for myself and for my patients to have resources. And a lot of the things I'll notice in their headlines is Dr. Such and Such you know, brings this book to you and wants to get into the, uncover the myths of menopause and and she knows it firsthand. Mm-hmm. I've seen books written by retired nurses who say the book premises um, and nurse Betty also from the bottom of her heart suffered with menopause. And so, yes, I think that this gender has, or the sex, so this is biologic actually, right? This uh, sex differences, and now that there being more women in medicine and it has surely had to have played a role. That's an excellent That's an excellent question. Yeah, and a great observation. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think if it's not happening to you, you may not fully understand it. You know, like if it it hasn't happened or you don't think it's going to happen, I just guess maybe uh, you didn't understand it. And plus, there is a trust thing where I think you're probably more comfortable. I know personally I am talking about these things with a female physician than a male physician. And I'm, you can't help it how, what you are. So I'm not trying to knock them, but I do feel that there's just something when you're speaking to another woman about this. Yeah. I think it is for better or for worse, sort of undeniable. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. It just is. Another yeah. interesting um, conversation you had on an episode was talking about the five points for women's midlife health and the things that we need to talk about or feel comfortable with. Do you recall the five points? I probably could come up with five off the top of my head and they probably would be similar, but I remember, I do know what you're referencing. It was sort of the demand more. We need to demand more. And I think it was uh, sort of along the lines of wanting to empower women to, first of all, do things like you wonderful ladies are doing is to get out there, put yourself you know, out there, talk about your experience, whether you uh, had a good experience or you're still going through it and be raw and honest and open because women are starting to really rally around this. And as you mentioned, in the UK and in Canada, and I think the United States is not too far behind, but I think women are starting to be more social media savvy, more tech savvy and are saying, wait, 
you mean to tell me that's what all you have? Your only response is just, it sucked for me. It'll suck for you. It's like, no, mm-hmm. I, I need better. I want more. I'm demanding answers. And so I think that demanding more and from our physicians is another aspect. So moving off from opening the dialogue, talking about it, demanding more from our doctors saying, no, this is politely. I disagree. That is not enough. I know there are people like Dr. X and Y and Z who are sort of saying that there are viable, safe, FDA-approved treatment options. So demanding more. I think another aspect was that menopause is socially charged. And by that, without getting too political, I really just mean all women's health issues, whether it's around any reproductive choice, whether if it's the beginning of your reproductive life or it's the end of your reproductive life, tend to be socially charged. So it affects the way menopause is perceived in the media, the doctor's office, in the workplace. And we talk Mm -hmm. about, in fact, I was just on Harvard Business Review, uh, Women at Work, talking all about how menopause affects a women's productivity at the work in work in their their later lives. A time when most women are at the peak or the Mm -hmm. height of their careers. And so I think those were uh, a lot of the points that I was alluding to in that podcast that I really commend both of you because you are hitting on all of those things. Yes. Thank yeah. you. We appreciate it. And that's interesting that you talk about the workplace because that is an area that we've kind of just kind of started talking more about. And we have talked to women who have actually had to leave their jobs. Mm-hmm. Just because of their perimenopause. And I said, you know, we've reached a point in our society where it's okay to take a mental health day, but you can't take a menopause day, which makes no sense. And yet, and Mm -hmm. until we get women in the CEO positions, in the corporate executive positions who understand and can relate to it, again, kind of like having doctors in those positions, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to move the needle far enough, fast enough until we get those people in positions of power Mm -hmm. because women are still embarrassed to say, I have to go home. Well, no, you know, you're exactly right. And I I make the not quite perfect, but similar metaphor of come a long way in terms of postpartum. So it's very acceptable for a woman to say, I need to go pump and even then her male colleagues are like, okay, you know, go ahead. But we're not to the point where we say, I'm sweating down my shirt. I need to go to my office and change into a new one, right? We're not at that point yet. Or I need to go to my doctor because I'm having so much vaginal bleeding. We're, we're not there. And it is frustrating. And then again, to your point, well, who would you see or where would you go? Or again, so that's that's why I really do think this is the most, exactly the most underserved area of women's health. We still have... You know, not figured out how from the from the patient side how to navigate this and providers are still you know need to sort of be retrained in managing menopausal symptoms internists family medicine doctors and gynecologists alike and that's an assumption there are many wonderful doctors that are mm-hmm. males and females that I know but the majority it is sort of just an, an assumption to an assumption of the just sort of the majority situation going on right now in the United States what would you suggest for women who are starting starting this process and kind of saying, I think I might be in perimenopause, but I don't have a clinic around me. Would you say contact North American Menopause Society or what suggestions would you have for that? Yes. So my biggest suggestion has been to, when it's socially acceptable, go to a bookstore. (laughs) Right now it's not. And give yourself a journal, one that inspires you. And I want you to start journaling symptoms before you even get into your doctor and really start journaling 
how long the symptoms last, when they seem to appear, what really is bothering you, triggers that you notice, etc. And then start with your doctor. And if you feel as though your doctor isn't really providing you with enough to reassure you, to make you feel comfortable, then I would say check menopause.org and search under a find a provider and look to see if there is a North American Menopause Society provider near you. Now, some people will have this luxury and some people unfortunately won't because there's just not enough of us. Another thing that I am hoping might change, and I don't want to get people's hopes up, but I'm hoping as we also embark in this new telemedicine journey, we all are kind of having to switch gears to telemedicine. And maybe both of you have started to just you know see your doctor or you will via telemedicine so we can all continue to social distance. I'm hoping that we can break down some of the state laws that are really kind of goofy, preventing me from seeing you. Mm-hmm. And it's silly, even though you're in Tennessee, I'm we're talking right now, we and for your listeners, we're watching each other, we can see each other. And a menopausal visit is 95% talking, if at all, 5% exam. And I might not even really need to do one if your gynecologist or your internist has already done an exam. So perhaps there'll be ways where me or others like me can provide telemedicine services shortly or somewhat in the future that will start to be covered by insurance. Because I think that they are starting to realize that the cost of doing a telemedicine visit, even for someone out of state, is going to be less than you continuing to see 10 doctors trying to figure out what's wrong with you, each taking a different perspective. One person thinking it's your thyroid, the other thinking you need a sleep medicine, a sleep study, the other person giving your migraine medications, the other person talking about your preventative health, you know, and et cetera. And so that's another thing that I see a lot in terms of my women who have symptomatic menopause end up seeing so many doctors when it's really just the one thing. So I I hope that's in the future just to sprinkle some optimism into your listeners' Mm -hmm. minds and Mm -hmm. mine too. I would love to be able to see. It's so silly that I can't see people outside of my state. And I just (laughs) want to say thank you, honestly, from so many midlife women who are suffering, Mm -hmm. who don't know where to go you're giving them an option and that, and you're giving them a voice. Like, like you said, they're not crazy. And a lot of women feel that way. They're embarrassed. They think they're crazy. So thank you, honestly, from a whole group of women who would thank you. Yes. But we'll do it. Yes. I'm so thankful that we got to collaborate because I absolutely agree. I stand on the rooftops and scream too. And for us to work together, wow, our voices are going to be so much more amplified. Mm -hmm. And I think that there will be some more you know, U.S.-based Making Menopause Matter campaigns coming down the pipelines. And I know your listeners are are going to be so excited. And I'm just honored to be able to be a voice for for y'all and to uh, also help me spread spread sort of my corner of this, which is kind of from that medical aspect. But yeah, the more we work together and fill in the gaps and we really, it's so cliche, but we really are stronger together, right? We sure are. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Hirsch, for being on our show. We really felt this was such an important podcast and we have so many questions coming up over and over from people, especially in our Facebook group and on Instagram and different TikTok questions that come about. And this was one of our earlier episodes. So we really felt that this episode was going to help answer a lot of questions that a lot of our listeners have. Make sure that you're following us on all of our social media platforms, 
make sure that if you have any questions that you go to our Facebook page. We have all the show notes for this episode on our Facebook page under episodes. And also if you have something that you would like to learn more about that has to do with midlife women, whether it's with menopause, whether if it's with fashion or something in your lifestyle or something that you're discovering in this time of life, please send us an email at hotflashescooltopics at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. And we have one more episode before we start season four. So make sure you're subscribed. Have a great week. Bye.